0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. Christ the Teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education and our faith, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host, and unfortunately, Kyle Pietrantonio is not able to join me for this podcast. Now, today, we're going to be talking with Camille Pauley, the co-founder and president of Healing the Culture in Seattle, Washington. Now, Healing the Culture is a nonprofit organization that evangelizes and converts people to a deeply and authentically and permanently pro-life position. It was founded in 2003 by Camille and Father Robert Spitzer, using his unique curriculum to change the hearts and minds of individuals and also to build a culture of life. Now, this apostolate has grown into an internationally recognized organization that has tremendous influence in the cultural battle for life that is going on today, particularly in the areas of abortion and euthanasia. Now, Camille has over 25 years of experience as a professional pro-life advocate and has inspired and trained and educated millions on effectively defending the uh, pro-life position. And she holds an MA in communications from Washington State University. She and her family currently live in Seattle, Washington. And Camille, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you, Father. Thanks for having me.
1: It's really great to have you with us. And we always like to begin our program together by finding out a little bit more about our guests. So could uh, you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your upbringing?
2: Sure. I grew up with uh, four sisters and a brother which was a beautiful thing in and of itself and a great learning experience for me. I uh, grew up in the Catholic faith and um, lived in New Mexico out in the desert. So I did a lot of desert exploration and found out about the pro-life movement early on uh, as a youngster, fell in love with the, the message about life and human life, but we never really did much as a family, you know, as far as pro-life activism or witness until one day I met some neighbors, uh, my next door neighbors who were Baptist. And they were going to witness at the uh, abortion clinic nearby and invited me to come with them. And it was there that I had a really deep conviction that watching the women go in and watching them come out, you know, as a a young 13 year old, I really felt like, wow, this is real and it's happening and I'm, I have to do something about it. And I've never lost that conviction. And it's really guided me in the work that the Holy Spirit has led me to do.
1: You know, it's interesting standing outside of Planned Parenthood and other places like that and watching, as you said, the women coming and going has such a deep effect on an adult. I can't imagine how it would feel to a 13 year old,
2: you know, through the young, through a young person's eyes, you know, where you're not jaded and you haven't seen much of the misery of the world. It was a good and a bad, it was shocking to me, but you also have all this vigor and zealousness about we've got to stop this, you know, we can stop this tomorrow, you know, and that, (laughs) that kind of zeal really helps because then you get involved and you research and you study, and you don't have this sense of defeatism that we sometimes can get later in life when you've been working at it for 30 years and it's still here. So that hope as a youngster was really helpful to me in guiding me in in this direction.
1: So starting as, as a teenager with this passion for life, how did healing the culture come about?
2: Oh, well, I met father Spitzer back in 1993, right after Bill Clinton had been elected. And it was the year of the woman and all these, you know, uh, women pro-abortion candidates were winning their their offices and people were scratching their heads saying, how in the world did this happen? (laughs) And father Spitzer was a new philosophy professor at Seattle university. Mm -hmm. And I had started working for the state right to life office. He got on the board and we got connected right away. I was about 23 years old, maybe. And he said, I have this idea about what the pro-life movement is missing that we're really missing this plug-in about the philosophy of the human person in our movement.
0: Mm -hmm. And
2: so he gave me, I think it was about a four hour lecture that day on the philosophy of the human person. I had never learned this before. I've been educated in public schools my entire life. Our philosophy class was, you know, basically learning about, you know, just the basics. It wasn't anything deep. And I was jaw dropped. I, I thought people need to learn this. And so, um, so I just ate it up and we started a program called the Center for Life Principles. And my whole job was to learn all this from him. I took classes in philosophy at Seattle U and we developed a bunch of programs and it went national and then it went international and then it got too big for a state office. So we broke off in uh, 2003, founded Healing the Culture And I've been doing this ever since and absolutely love it. I love this angle of the pro-life movement because it's so positive and it's so rich and it fills in the empty hole that's left when people realize abortion is wrong. So you have Mm -hmm. to give them the positive, the reason why, you know, it's not just because of the ugliness, it's because there's something beautiful to take its place. And I love being able to engage in that part of the movement.
1: That's fantastic because what you're doing is giving them the why behind the what.
2: That's right. Exactly. Why be pro-life? Not just that we're supposed Mm -hmm. to be pro-life, but why is the church so concerned? Why does it care so much? Why are millions of people involved in this movement? Who cares? Why not Mm -hmm. just go back to your job, make a lot of money, take care of your own children, Right, right. right? Mind your own business because there is something so beautiful to replace this with and you don't see it. And if you saw it, what you could do and and how much we could accomplish in this culture. If you saw the beauty of who you are, we like to say people don't see the image and likeness of God in an unborn child because they don't see the image and likeness of God in themselves. And that's the real emptiness, right? Mm -hmm. The destruction of the baby is horrifying, but the destruction of the soul of the human person is even worse that they don't see who they are. So that's the part we focus on the most.
1: You know, it's interesting because the implications of understanding personhood are so vast uh, you know, in addition to, the whole issue of abortion. I mean, it, it takes in so many areas of yes. just understanding us as a human person, doesn't it?
2: Yes, it does. So, I mean, Father Spitzer, I mean, I, I know a lot of your listeners and viewers have, have heard him before. His One of his biggest points is that human beings are <clears throat> underliving their lives because they don't know what true meaning and purpose is. And so he, he, he does what he calls the four levels of happiness, right? That happiness It's actually four different kinds, four desires that every human being has. You've got the material, physical pleasure. You've got ego gratification, power, and success, and achievement, and popularity. You've got contribution, the contributive identity, the need to feel like you're making a difference to others through love or being a truth seeker, or or seeking justice, or creating beauty to inspire others to awe, or seeking to build home and community, right? Those five transcendentals Mm -hmm. of, of Aristotle, truth, love, justice, beauty, and home. And then there's the ultimate, that we desire those things perfectly. And that's why we need God, because God can only fulfill those desires perfectly. And here's the problem. Our culture more and more and more is causing people to think that their lives are only valuable insofar as they can achieve levels one and two. Mm-hmm. And so we have defined success in terms of materialism and ego gratification, quality of life in terms of levels one and two. Love is defined in terms of materialism and self-gratification and physical pleasure. Freedom yep. is defined all my options, being able to choose whatever I want, whenever I want, you know, Mm -hmm. all these terms, suffering is defined through those levels. There's no sense of redemptive suffering, the good that can come through our suffering through forgiveness and charity and love and understanding and faith in God, you know, all of these things are missing from our culture. And so, you know, he just really sees that it's not just the pro-life issue. That problem has caused us to lose sight of every important moral belief we used to hold on every issue, cultural issue and societal issue and personal issue. I mean, it goes from capital punishment to, uh, you know, immigration to war to, you know, even smoking, you know, you know it covers every moral issue you can think of. Uh, and people no longer have a tool to discern right from wrong. And this program gives them those tools to really help—not just young people, but old people—to understand the why, as you were saying before.
1: That's that's fantastic. And you yeah. know, the thing that I just have thought about as you were just sharing, really, as as a culture, and I love the fact that you're talking about your postulate as healing the culture, not yes. just taking care of life, which is an yes. important thing. But um, we've really abandoned philosophy.
2: Yes, we have. As a world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's been a tragedy because Mm -hmm. everyone's going to have a philosophy in life. Everyone, you're going to develop it either consciously because you've studied it or thought about it or subconsciously because you're absorbing it from your culture, your teachers, your parents, whatever Um, the the more likely than not, you're absorbing it from social media and the television and music. Everyone will have a philosophy on life. The problem is that most people have a philosophy of life that is uninformed or misinformed. And that has led us to a culture of death. You will buy anything the culture is telling you. Uh, So, so we really need to take this approach and it's not easy. Mm -hmm. It takes time. It takes commitment. You can't change people with a bumper sticker or a billboard. You mm-hmm. need to do deep education in schools and in parishes and in homes and over time through media and social media. It takes a commitment of a lot of people, our parents and teachers and grandparents and pastors and religious educators. But mm-hmm. fortunately, we created all the tools to make it easy. Yeah, so. there you go.
1: <laughs> well, and, you know, it's it's interesting because, as you said, people have developed a philosophy. Part of the problem is that that philosophy may be based more on a feeling than it is yes. on uh, on really thinking through an issue. And uh, yes. I can't remember where I heard it, uh, but it used to be that humanity defined itself. I think, therefore I am. And mm-hmm. it's become, I feel, therefore yes. I am. So if I feel something, if I feel this way, then that is my perception of what reality is. You're
2: right, father. And I'll tell you something in my 30 years of experience, teaching this to literally millions of people and training thousands of people to do this work, almost everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone. It's an easy leap to them from the feelings to the thinking. That right. they're longing for something to make sense. It's just that they don't really know how to do that. Nobody's affirming it in the culture. It's all these feelings and get what you want. When right. somebody comes and deeply talks to them, it turns them on. And we can't forget that as pro-lifers, don't forget they have the same god-shaped hole that we have. These exactly. are not our yeah. enemies, right? Satan is our enemy. But people who are wounded by abortion or pro-abortion or um you know legislating abortion uh in the wrong ways or providing abortions or committing abortions are people People who have been badly misled themselves and Mm -hmm. all it takes sometimes is somebody to deeply connect with them on how they're underliving their lives, to get them to really see this is what I want. I just don't know how to, and they're afraid. Fear drives it a lot. You know, I'm afraid, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my friends? Am I going to, am I going to look like an idiot? (laughs) Are people going to think I'm stupid? You know, it's that fear that drives a lot of people to abortion.
1: Wow. That is, that's powerful to think about we're going to talk in a little while about uh, the school curricula, part of uh, your mission and your ministry, but can you tell us a little bit about the other aspects of what you do at healing the culture?
2: Sure. So Um, we, we, most of what we do is create resources and curricula and then train other people how to use them. And so we, um, you know, we build a lot of textbooks and videos and we have, we're building a film studio so we can make more films and movies. Uh, we do a lot on social media, but mostly we're creating tools for people to use in their homes or in their church or school or other area. And then we come and we train you how to use them. And, you know, the, the key to what we do is that the pro-life movement has traditionally started at the end, the end. Point. You know, this is unjust. Uh, The baby is a human person. It's a human being. Uh, The baby has a natural right to life. You know, the right to life is inviolable. But we don't really sense that people don't get this because they're not coming at the issue from the same presumptions that we're coming from, which is why you need to start with the levels of happiness. You know, we start with those principles of justice often. Everyone has a natural right to life. There's life, liberty, and property. Life takes precedence over liberty because without Life, your liberty is a moot point and therefore life has, you know, we go through these things and it hits people like a wall, like a brick wall. So what, yeah, what makes our resources so different is first we say, look, take people through these levels of happiness, get them to connect with levels three and four, then open them up to what we call these 10 principles of civilization that Mm -hmm. are critical for our pro-life movement principles of logic that help people to see this is a human being and a human person right get them to see the principles of ethics like do no harm and ends don't justify the means and principles of justice but we got to do this in the human soul in the right order
1: Mm -hmm. we haven't built the foundation first before we put up the pillars
2: right the pillars don't have anything to stand on if -hmm. you don't help the human heart first live for what's worthy
1: yeah Uh, as of uh our recording of this podcast, there are approximately 63.5 million abortions that have taken place since Roe v. Wade. My understanding is that this decision was based on what the court doesn't know about a human life rather than what it did know about a human life. It was based on uh, that the experts really didn't come to any conclusion. So therefore, we're going to allow it. And yeah. this seems really <laughs> strange. Why do you think that over the last almost 50 years, this hasn't been able to be overturned?
2: Well, you've got abor- basically what the justices did in Roe versus Wade was they, you know, they, they completely violated the principle of non-maleficence, which is one of the principles right. we teach that do no harm. And if you're not sure if a harm is going to be committed, avoid it until you can prove otherwise, this is basic Mm -hmm. ethics, basic in law, and we violated that. How did they get away with this? Because we were already living in a culture where people had radically transformed their lives to rely on abortion, right? Abortion Mm -hmm. was nowhere near as big as it is now, but people were ready for it ultimately because we were living for these things that were beneath us already. And so it slid right in there overnight. And we haven't been able to get rid of it because people have come to rely on abortion. In fact, the Supreme Court justices in the Dodd Dodd case uh, that, you know, back in December, that case was heard of Mississippi the, and the Dodd case, um, you know, the, the, the pro-abortion justices admitted there's no, ra- they had no logical rationale for Roe versus Wade at all. What their argument was, was that people have organized their lives around abortion for the last 50 years. Therefore, it's going to be extremely disruptive to get rid of it. And therefore, we need to keep it. We've heard this argument before, slavery, Mm -hmm. Slavery, segregation in schools. We've organized our lives around this. It's going to be completely disruptive. And so therefore, we need to keep it going. Terrible in law, terrible in morality, terrible for a culture, for our young people and for the victims. So you you could see the vapidness in it. And I think that's why it's being sustained. People are afraid to let it go.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, you've been in uh, the pro-life trenches for many years and that's something that you and I both share, which is why I'm so delighted that we can have this conversation. Um, Can you kind of tell us where you think we are right now, given the trajectory of our current elected officials and also Uh, Let's let's hitchhike more on the implications of the Dobbs hearings.
2: Sure. Well, uh, the trick, that'd be a better question for my husband who's involved in politics. But I I think it's a confusing world right now for a lot of people, because in the one in the one sense, you see more and more politicians being willing to speak out in favor of life. You see, um, you know, kind of a trend growing there. And a lot of people are thinking after the covid crisis, you're going to see more of a trend of elected officials who support life being elected, maybe not because of the life issues, but even for other reasons. So I see a good trajectory happening, especially because a lot more people are educated on abortion. Uh, You know, out of a survey last year of, I think it was 5,500 biologists at a thousand educational institutions around the country, 96% of them acknowledge that the human being's life begins at the moment of conception and fertilization. So, you know, education is happening more and more. You've got you know, fetoscopy, you've got ultrasounds, you know, you've got, uh, you know, investigations into the womb through surgeries, fetal surgeries. There's just a lot more we know right now. So I think there is a good political trajectory towards pro-life. And if you want my opinion on Dodd, I'll give it to you early. (laughs) I think Roe versus Wade will be overturned. I'm an optimist. I think that listening to the pro-life justices speak at that Dodd hearing, they recognize that, you know, there's a big or Dodd's hearing. I'm sorry. I keep calling it dot is Dobbs, but they, they recognize there's a big problem here. Justice Alito uh, you know, was talking about you know that the baby has a life interest. Even the pro-abortion attorney acknowledged at some point there's a life interest in the child. Clarence Thomas um, you know, accentuated, what's your interest on the pro-abortion side? It's the liberty interest. Okay, you've got life against liberty here. Life has to take priority. So I think Roe will be overturned. If I'm wrong, it will be badly damaged. And there are other cases coming up towards the Supreme Court that I think could flip Roe versus Wade. So it may not be this one, uh, but it's going to badly damage it at the very least and be a nice setup for later. So I think there is a lot of hope. I used to think we wouldn't see Roe versus Wade overturned in my lifetime, Mm -hmm. but I I think I was wrong. I think it's going to go.
1: That's fantastic to hear. And it sounds to me like, again, the personhood issue is really going to be the tipping point. That's going
2: to be the tipping point. I mean, Roe versus Wade, uh, its whole point was you're not really a person protectable under the law unless you're viable. And in mm-hmm. the Dobbs hearing, it was very clear Supreme Court justices recognizing that's completely arbitrary. What is it about viability? You know, 15 weeks prior and fifty after 15 weeks, what's the difference? And who really is viable? Father, mm-hmm. I hate to tell you this, but you're not really viable. You know, you need yeah. doctors and you need, you know, farmers to be viable. You're not independently viable and neither am I. Yeah. We, we all are interdependent.
1: Well, I'm especially with this white hair, I'm becoming <laughs> less and less viable according to certain people's standards. I'm sure,
2: you know, it's okay, interesting.
1: Then. Yeah. It's interesting. I remember this was years ago. I was listening to um, a news broadcast and they had two stories back to back. The first story was about, uh, it was, it was a, pro-abortion story about the importance and the need for uh, for a woman's right to choose. And the baby is not a baby until it's born. And then it becomes a he or a she. Before that, it's, you know, as I heard one person call it a beta unit, you know, (laughs) but the next story was about how babies can learn to appreciate music in the womb. Interesting. (laughs) And isn't it interesting that we can kind of hold these Two things in tension and never see go. the inconsistency.
2: This is why philosophical principles are so important. You know, a complete violation of the principle of non-contradiction. And you have young students in colleges <laughs> today who, when I make that argument, will say, "Why? well, what's wrong with a contradiction? Why can't I hold a contradiction? And they really don't see what's wrong with it. And of course, your answer is because you can't live with contradictions. You can't have a conversation. Every word is the opposite. And the same thing it means at the same time. You can't have laws. You can't have relationships. Contradictions don't work in real life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a huge problem with the, you know, if you agree to disagree, you can't on this issue it's either a human person or it's not. And so we we have to slowly work through students to get them to see Mm -hmm. that. But eventually I will tell you about 80% of our audiences by the end of the conversation, get it. Even in the most secular universities, they get it. They don't want to violate that principle. They see there's a huge myth and a lie going on here. They're just afraid to switch sides because they have relied on abortion for so long.
1: So really the pushback of you even being invited in is because they know that it will probably make an impact.
2: Yeah. And they don't they want do. to go through yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that More often than not, when we get invited to debate, we don't get invited back again because of the difference no. we made in the classroom. If no. the teacher's very pro-abortion, he's like, oh, I don't want to do this again. You know, it, it, it's fear, fear of mm-hmm. change and fear of the truth. And so we find other ways to reach those audiences, very clever ways, mm-hmm. which we'll share with your audience.
1: Well, I know that, uh, one of your passions is to, uh, really intersect children at a young age about the issues of life and that you really see the importance of involving Catholic schools, uh, and other aspects in that, that, uh, journey of life, let's say. So, uh, I know that one of the, uh, aspects of healing the culture is graded curricula and, uh, You've got a new program that you're beginning that's going to be kind of fun, and it's going to uh, basically introduce our children to two new little characters, Philo mm-hmm. and Sophie. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit I about will. Philo and Sophie?
2: I'm like popping off my seat right now because I'm so excited about this program, and I yeah. can't wait. We're we're launching it this spring, and Um, the whole idea of reaching a younger audience really came out of a conversation I had with the school's department at the archdiocese of Seattle. You know, we have a high school curriculum, we have a college curriculum, we have an adult program, but we didn't have anything for K through eight. They said, you really need to reach younger kids. And we were like, we know, but how do we take father Spitzer and digest it down to a You know, kindergartner. Well, Uh father, we did it. We spent five years researching it, Philo and Sophie, um, from the word philosophy. Uh, It's called philosophy for children is a a program kind of like Sesame Street style, 12 minute videos. Some of them are, are nine minutes and they're designed to be used in the classroom or in a religious education program, or you can use them at home. And we have parent and teacher tools online. It's all free. Uh, You can access it all at philo and sophie.org, or if that's hard to remember, you can go to healingtheculture.com and get to that website through us. And what it does is it takes little kids through the principle of non-contradiction, the four levels of happiness, how to really appropriately define words like success and love and quality of life. And we can actually do it with really young children through songs, super creative songs. These two puppets, Philo is a British-accented penguin um, and... Sophie is a goofy mermaid because you have to have a mermaid in every kid thing these days. And then there's their (laughs) sidekick friend, Frank, the monster, who's a red furry monster, because you also have to have a red furry monster and everything for kids. And they interact with adults and live actor children. And there's animation that's introduced. So it's very fun, funny for parents to watch and teachers to watch short. It's easy to apply in the classroom and everything's done for you. So the, the teacher piece has, uh, tools that the teacher, it's uh, the whole conversation you have with the classroom is written out her words, word for word are written out There are activities. It's all, there's pacing guide and there are lesson plans and it's very easy to use. You can do it in, in each grade, you can do it in three days. Um, and there are parent pieces to take home to the parents and these kids learn. We from the parents who tell us, you know, what, what do you teach my kids? Can I watch these videos? Because they hear the kids singing these songs like contradiction, fiction, you know, contradictions are a fiction and songs on the four levels of happiness. And the parents want to be involved. And even more than that, father, the teachers love it. They get back to us and they say, why didn't I ever learn this? I never heard of this before. I wish I'd Mm -hmm. heard this 30 years ago. So it's just good for the kids and good for the teachers and good for the parents. And and I think it's going to make a huge cultural impact. Well,
1: I got to tell you earlier on, you were talking about the four levels of happiness that father spitzer has and i thought well i know about that filo and sophie taught me about it the other day there you know. i was watching the video <laughs> and it was neat you know they had a contest to see which of their uh you know uh tables yes. of, and demonstration uh was the the expression of happiness and that's again was able one. to teach the four levels you know that's
2: a wonderful episode on faith exhibits is. Mm-hmm. yeah they,
1: and so now you can. I, I would really encourage our teachers because uh, we do have a large number of teachers and administrators that that listen or watch. Really go to healing the culture and watch the introductory episode because yeah. it's a it's a, a great way of introducing this to to our young people. How many how many episodes do you think you'll end up with?
2: So, well, right now there are 20 sketches, um, and they're put into episodes. And so for each grade, there are three episodes that are about 12 minutes long. So you've got for kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, we're building a bigger film studio right now. And so later this fall, we're hoping to start filming third, fourth, and fifth grade. It'll take a couple years to film for those grades, but in the meantime, we tested those first three on third, fourth, and fifth graders, and they love it too. So mm-hmm. if a teacher in that grade area wants to use the program right now for those old Students, they certainly can. And I think the kids would love it. And frankly, Father, we used it. We tested it on high school students and they they loved it. You know, they love the characters. They laugh through the whole thing. They sing the songs. So I wouldn't recommend (laughs) using it in a high school classroom. But well,
1: uh, senior adults like it too. Let me tell you.
2: (laughs) We had so much fun doing it.
1: There's something about puppets that takes and disarms you when you're talking about something.
2: They're so happy and they're so innocent, you know, and real.
1: When I was watching that, I had to ask myself, though, is Camille's hand inside of one of those puppets?
2: Oh, no. (laughs) We tried to keep that a secret for a long time. And then the secret went out. And yes, I ended up being in the credits because everybody knows it. Yes, I am. I play the part of Sophie. the mermaid. I
1: thought so. So. (laughs) Yeah. When I started, when I heard your voice, I thought, I'll bet that's Sophie.
2: Yeah. I, I
1: knew that you weren't Philo.
2: <laughs> no, but, oh, we uh, have a very talented man, John Anderson, plays the part of mm-hmm. Philo and Frank. Very talented, he could do these completely diverse characters all the same in the same take, and he's amazing. And he was also the director of the program. We've been very blessed with a phenomenal crew,
1: and they're good puppeteers. You know, uh, <laughs> one bad. of the things uh, again back in one of my earlier uh, times, we spent some time helping with puppet ministries, and uh, you know, we it's did. really interesting because it's so much that you sometimes close the mouth when you're talking rather than oh my open gosh. the mouth. And
2: you'll see those mistakes every now and then, but yeah. not too bad. We had no, a woman it's design. Really good. we created our own puppets. We had to make them three times before we got it because it's really hard to get that mouth to open back up. So you have to put a little ball inside the mouth and it springs right. open. And that way you're more doing more work to close it than to open it. It was fascinating what we learned about puppetry and green screens and set design and makeup and all these things that you learn. And uh, it's a lot of fun. If anybody wants to get involved, who's listening, let us know, because it's uh we'd love to have people come and, and join us for even a week on the on the set and uh, you know as a volunteer crew member. It's a lot of fun.
1: I like the fact that you bring live actors into yes. it as well. So it's an yes. interaction there was a child, yeah,
2: there was an true. adult. And a lot yeah. of adults. So many children's programs now are children teaching children. And I think it's a big mistake. Children mm-hmm. need to see grown-ups and adults and parents and men, male figures, father I figures. I saw that, yeah teaching them. Yes. And we really deliberately put that in where it's not so much the children teaching children. We have a little bit of that, but it's mostly the adults and every grade level concludes with a little episode that ties everything you're learning into a pro-life issue without talking about abortion or euthanasia or assisted suicide. The youngsters, we didn't want to corrupt them or g- give sure. them something that's too heavy for them at that age. But right. you know, like contradictions, there's a scene where uh, there's a woman named Katya who's pregnant and mm-hmm. Frank, the monster comes walking in do dobi do And he sees her and he says, Whoa, Katya, what did you have for lunch? You know, your stomach is huge. You know? And she says, that's not lunch. It's a baby. And he has this con you know, this conflict with her saying that can't be a baby. I can't see it. It looks like lunch. And finally he says, well, then it's a baby for you if you want it to be, but not for me, for me, it's lunch. Right. And Sophie comes running in. you can't do that. That's a contradiction. And so it's this very innocent way of bringing up mm -hmm, the pro-abortion arguments where the children don't learn about abortion. But later on when they grow up and they hear these arguments, they're like, you can't do that. You learn that in kindergarten, you know, that's a contradiction. And they remember (laughs) the song. So Yeah. yeah.
1: Great how, are you gonna, how are you going? How are you going to roll this out? Because you've, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm, I'm just thinking of teachers in the classroom thinking, how can I get this? How, how do we incorporate this into our school?
2: Sure. sure. So it's so plug and play. It philoandsophie.org or they can go through healingtheculture.com to get there. They just, you log in, it's free registration. You log in and then you go to unit one, unit two, and unit three. All the videos are loaded up. There's something called lessons where you click on that and you get all the teacher pieces, all the games and activities, and everything has instructions. It's all very easy, simple, short, and plug and play. And then if people still have questions... There's an FAQ section that shows people the most common questions people have of how to do this. We recommend three days in kindergarten, three days in first grade, and three days in the second grade that you're just devoting to this. Um, And if they still have questions after that, there's a phone number. You can call my staff and they'll walk you through different variations of how to implement the program depending on your unique circumstances. So we make it pretty easy.
1: It it sounds like it is, and I think then the teachers could probably go there, explore, and then talk to their administrators and say, look, we've got this great thing that we found this curriculum and uh, yeah. let's see how we can implement it. That would we be We have some schools fantastic.
2: that bring all the children together once a day in like an assembly and they watch the program and they go through that. It's not our recommended model because it's easier mm-hmm. when you're one-on-one with a smaller group of students. Most of our school is implemented in a classroom, in the homeroom classroom, um, which I guess is all homeroom at that age. Mm-hmm. And the students learn it together in a small group and you move them from place to place. So they move to the floor when they're watching the video, they move to their seats at their desks when they're getting instruction. And then they move to the craft table when they're the arts and crafts or the game. So there's a lot of movement for the kids to learn, feel, touch. Different learning methods are incorporated into that. There's the visual mm-hmm. and the aesthetic learner and the hearing learners. It's all incorporated to make it very accessible to any student.
1: So you've got philoandsophie.org, and that's P H I L O and S O P H I E.org, so, um, yes. all one word, I'm guessing. Yes.
0: All
2: one word, all spelled out. And if people have problems with the spelling again, you can get there through healing the culture. Healing the culture,
1: right. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to this, now I know that you have a high school curriculum called Principles and Choices. No, I'm guessing this is not puppet driven. It's it's a different approach.
2: (laughs) Yes, it's a very different approach. It's colloquially written, so it's in a in a conversational tone, but very sophisticated. And it takes Father Spitzer's college level textbooks, digests it down to a high school level. There are three workbooks slash textbooks on our website. Uh, The first one goes through all those four levels and slowly through time, through two weeks, uh, we help the teacher move those students into levels three and four, and then we apply that to abortion, Mm -hmm. how abortion and euthanasia, we do both Mm -hmm. violate levels three and four and cause us to see the world through levels one and two. So the kids really see by the end of it, the problem before they go through this learning uh, almost 50% of students in our Catholic schools in high schools are pro-abortion and are also living for levels one and two. They admit it in this pre-surveys that we take. Um, they don't call it level one and two. They haven't learned that yet, but they, what is the most important thing in life? Sex, sports, money, right? That, that's what they're saying is most important. After they go through two weeks of that first program on the four levels of happiness, nine, over 90% of the students has, have switched to level three and four and over 80% of them are pro-life on abortion. Over 66% of them are pro-life on euthanasia. That's a little harder issue because they have a problem seeing who the victim is. Um, The second Mm -hmm. book is on truth and logic and helps them to see the unborn child is a full human person at the moment Mm -hmm. of fertilization using Mm -hmm. biology and philosophy. And the third book is on ethics and justice and goes through the most basic principles of ethics and justice and helps them to see abortion and euthanasia violate all of these principles. And so we recommend that first book in the ninth grade, the second in the 10th and the third in the 11th grade, but you can do it any way you want. Some schools Mm -hmm. put all the books together and do it as a required class, one class just called principles and choices. Um, Other schools prefer to do it all in the senior year Um, Some of them will stretch it out in the 10th, 11th and 12th grade. It's very, Mm -hmm. some, some schools just use book one and they don't have time for books three and two and three, which is not the best way to learn it. Those are the really meaty ones, but it's better than nothing. We have a science class in one school that uses book two which is uh, the, the, the human being, You know, the, the, mm-hmm. using biology and philosophy to prove the child's a, a human being. And you can do it cross-curricularly. We've seen schools use book one on the philosophy of happiness in a religion class, book two on logic and truth and biology in a science class, and book three in a history class or a social studies class on ethics and justice. So that's kind of neat. I like that when they do it cross-curricularly because this is not just a religious topic. This is a subject of humanity, a subject of science, a subject of philosophy, a subject of religion. It's all integrated. There's also
1: on your website, I noticed you've got Philo and Sophie, you've got uh, your uh, principles and choices, but then there's Respect Life University.
2: Oh, good. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So So what's that all about? So that is something for, for adults, young adults and adults. And it's a way where you can get the education yourself and pass it on to others in a simple way, kind of try to do what Prager university did, where we take an issue like rape and incest, or what about the life of the mother, or what about fetal disabilities, or what about, you know. Uh, the COVID uh, vaccine and abortion, these little, these shorter issues. And we make five minute videos, some are a little shorter, some are a little longer, and uh, it uses some graphic animation, some narrator, and it simplifies the answer to these questions. So I think we have about a dozen videos up there now. We'll be doing a lot more in the next few years as we build our film studio, but it's a place you can go if your high school students or your college level students, or you <laughs> have a question about, you know how do I answer this question on this hard case? Or that particular issue. Um, And you can go and watch our little video. It integrates all of Father Spitzer's philosophy into the answer. So you don't just get a practical answer or an answer based on statistics or slippery slopes. You get an answer based on the philosophy of the human person, uh, which is, in my opinion, the most important way to answer the question. Mm -hmm. It really, it goes, moves more deeply. So that's respectlife.university.
1: Okay. And is that an ever-growing resource? Yes.
2: Yes, we'll continue to add videos forever. And if people want a particular video on an issue we haven't done yet, they can email us at healingtheculture.com that we have a contact page. Let us know. We'd like to see you apply it to this issue or you Mm -hmm. haven't addressed that issue. What about this new thing coming out? So we will always take those and, and take them into account when we're deciding our next 10 videos. Now, do
1: you have ways in which you put out out, uh, to people that are interested what's going on with Healing the Culture and new developments and new resources, et cetera? Yes,
2: we have an e-newsletter that goes out uh, a few times a month. And so if you go to healingtheculture.com, there's a place that you can sign up for that e-newsletter and we'll put you on the email list. And then if you want to be taken off, you unsubscribe. We don't sell your name or your email address or anything. It's just for you to receive our e-newsletter. And we wipe you out. If, well, we don't wipe you out, but we wipe your email address out <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you don't want to be on it anymore. So people can come and go as they choose. Some of them are educational. Uh, some of the emails you'll get are about what's going on in the world today and our take on it. And some of them will let you know when we have new products and resources.
1: you have a lot of things online. Uh, Is there anything that you or members of uh, your team do uh, live and in living color in person?
2: Oh yes, we do. We'll come uh, in person to uh, any group and do a training in person. So we do an, a pro- project called Last Life Advocacy Student Training. We'll go to any that's for college students. We'll go to any college or university campus, train the pro-life students. So it's a 5-hour intensive training program in this philosophy and in how to dialogue with others. So we do practice debates and practice conversations. Um, So there's that program. We'll also do those online remotely if getting on Mm -hmm. campus is a problem for the school. And we have another program called Life Principles Academy, where we'll come to a school and we can do a full training for all the teachers. We do those all the time. Uh, It's usually free. Uh, We just ask the school to pay our travel expenses, Um, Mm -hmm. but we we usually have donors who will pay for that. Um, And we'll go to a school, a high school. Um, We can do those also for dioceses. We can do them for uh, a church, a parish. Um, uh, but it's a, just a wonderful program to get the same kind of level of intensive certification, and we do we do give people continuing education certification for that on a professional level. You can get um, you know CPA credits for that um, uh, if you want us to come for that. So those are two really good options.
1: That would be a great opportunity, I would think, for <clears throat> schools as well as for yes. uh, for parishes that are really wanting to dig in deeper, not only on, on the abortion issue, but All life issues from, you know, conception to natural death and everything in between. That's right. Of Developing a philosophy of life.
2: That's right. And then we give you a personal opportunity to hear the whole philosophy and then ask the questions on the issues that are most important to you. Um, So and again, we can do the Life Principles Academies remotely as well. If that's a problem, we prefer to do them in person. It's a lot better that way, but we can Mm -hmm. do them remotely if that's an issue.
1: One of the things that I'm sure uh, that has happened is over this the years of you spending time in this whole uh, world of, of uh, pro-life, etc., you've probably come in contact with a lot of Catholic schools and had a lot of dialogues with different individuals and groups. As you look at the whole Catholic school spectrum today, do you have any sense of what the greatest need is for our Catholic school teachers right now?
0: Oh,
2: wow. <laughs> There's so many, <laughs> I guess the number one biggest thing they need is a way to deal with the intense depression and self alienation that their students are facing That's the biggest Concern I get from teachers. My students are clinically depressed. They are walking around self alienated. They don't know who they are. They don't even know what their sex is about anymore. They don't even know what their sex is anymore. They're so confused by the culture. So this program, I think really helped. And there's a lot of other good programs too. But This one is another tool in your toolkit to help students or teachers address that clinical depression in your students that is caused from students having no clue who they are. It's like Mm -hmm. they have no address, right? They don't know where they're coming from or where they're going to. And so they're wandering aimlessly and listlessly. And this helps a lot. We had a teacher of an eighth grade classroom some years ago, um, a sister in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, who came back and told us your curriculum helped my student who since the 5th grade has been suicidal it was a little boy realized for the first time in his life that his life had meaning and purpose and he came to me the other day and said i don't want to commit suicide anymore teacher can you help me and it was because he had learned those four levels of happiness and realized how valuable he was so i you know i think this program could help a lot of teachers in that regard
0: mm-hmm.
1: well so much of their philosophy so to speak comes from social media yes comes yes. from input that You're really, right. again, keeps them at those first two levels and That's doesn't right. give them the ability to really become a, f- a full human person in that sense.
2: Most of what they're learning about the meaning of life comes from their peers, other children, teaching children and from people who are preying on them either through marketing or, you know, there's a business that wants to make money off of them or real, you know, predators who are you know seeking more sinister needs, but, uh, or things, but, um, but, we can use social media to our advantage as well and that's part of what we've done with philo and sophie and with perspective uh, University. Um, and some of our other programs is to try to fit into that you know mm-hmm. into that space as well
1: so if we have those that are listening or watching and they really want to just get started what would you recommend
2: mm-hmm. well uh it would i would recommend that they go to healingtheculture.com and mm-hmm. go to the tab called learn and click on some of those things because there's a lot of free resources there, 10 Universal Principles. They can learn all those principles all at once on a very simple little two-page sheet that they can print out. If you're wondering, what are all these principles? You only went through three and there's 10. That's a good place. So the Learn button, uh, click on those resources. There's some videos that on on that website. You can watch Father Spitzer give a lecture on uh, the the ten principles and the four levels of happiness and how they apply. So I would suggest that first go to HealingTheCulture.com and click on Learn. Learn what you can. See what we're all about, and then start clicking on our programs so that you can figure out what do I need. Do I want something mm-hmm. for kids? Do I want something for teens? Do I want something for myself? Um, for my college student who, who's a uh, you know kind of struggling with these issues. Sure. Yeah. So
1: we've got to really uh, come to the end. I I hate to say, because this has been such a a wonderful time of conversation. Is there anything that you would like to leave us with in terms of a thought, an idea concerning all that you're about and all that you're doing? Hope.
2: Have hope. Don't be discouraged. I would say to your viewers, all is not lost. I know it looks like the world is coming to an end in a lot of different ways today but this is what happens when the cancer is so bad that it boils out and that's what you see happening through riots and the covid disaster and all of the political horror that's going on right now and the lack of loss of freedoms and the fear this it's all boiling up hope is what you need now because it's when it comes out that we can finally address it this has been going on for a long time it's just right. you're seeing it upfront and personal. Now you can battle it when you can see it. So don't lose sense of that theological virtue of hope. Let that drive everything you do.
1: I love that. Uh, I forgot who it was that I learned this from years ago, but that basically uh, politics and uh, what happens in the public uh, basically is downstream of where our culture really is. So there has been that interior conversion that has gone on and we're now seeing it kind of foment as you say come out in you're right in publicly. It, it, kind of,
2: it kind of goes both ways because politics will affect the culture but even yeah. more so will culture affect politics if you don't do education in the home and in the school and in the churches to help people realize their identity you're absolutely right so, yeah
1: so healing the culture
2: will take you downstream culture. that's what we do <laughs> Healingtheculture.com.
1: That's great. Well, Camille, Polly, thank you so thank much. You, it God has been a delight.
2: You are a blessing to this church and to our world, and I'm so grateful for what you do. Thank you. Oh, it's
1: my joy. And uh, we're just so glad that you're here. I have a feeling that we're going to want to get you back again and uh, to talk that. about some other things. So that would be delightful. Well, and, pray for to, me. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, for our viewers and our listeners, if you haven't done this already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be sure to listen or leave a comment and encourage us toward future programming. Uh, We also want to thank our student intern, Alex Shire, for assisting in
0: the production of this podcast. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.